Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is Amanda Mork from My Rock Moment, the show where we chat with some familiar faces about the stories and unforgettable moments that made them a diehard fan of rock and roll. So today we've got iconic photographer Chris Cafaro. Now Chris shoots celebrities, models, athletes, but today we're talking about his rock photography. And if you're a fan of George Michael, In Excess, Nirvana, Chris Cornell, No Doubt, the list goes on and on, you've definitely seen his work. We'll talk about the George Michael fan he never forgot, swapping shoes with Michael Hutchins of NXS, shooting his hero, Carlos Santana, and the only artist that ever made him cry. <laughs> Chris is certainly an interesting study and LA's best kept secret, as he says. So let's get started. Hey, Chris. <laughs> So we've got iconic photographer Chris Gaffaro on. Chris, thank you for coming on. And I'm sure a lot of you already know this, but Chris shoots A-list celebrities, athletes, models. But for any of you that are fans of rock photography or just rock in general, and I'm assuming you all would be, or else you wouldn't be listening, um, you've probably seen his work. So you've shot Nirvana, Pearl Jam, In Excess, um, Chris Cornell and Soundgarden, and then a lot of SoCal gems like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jane's Addiction, no doubt. Well done. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I actually have, I know I've mentioned this to you, but I do have one of your black and white in excess shots. It's hanging proudly in my place. Um, awesome. I got that at your greatest hits exhibition at Tower Records in LA a few, God, a few years ago. 2017. 2017. I met you there. I know you don't remember yeah. it, but I met you there. <laughs> I don't remember. Do you know what's so funny about that night? to start with that night which was crazy about that night was the publicist gave me the best advice which was to keep moving just keep moving and every time i started talking to somebody like more than like two or three minutes she'd look give me that dirty look keep moving and and she was right because you just have there were so many people and so much was going on and you had to keep moving otherwise it was like what do i you know and so i met so many people and the best thing that I do remember you. And I remember the night. There's a lot of things I do remember about it. But the best part is everybody I've talked to that ever that went to it, that was there, friends and and just clients and just people I just met. Everybody tells me about what what an amazing experience it was and what an amazing event it was. And that's very memorable for them. And that just makes me like knowing that I know in my heart that like, I succeeded because that's what I intended to do with all my, with all my exhibitions. I just, my goal is always just to make people smile. 
And oh, I do that every time. It was a blast. I had a great time. And the whole thing yeah. about you being on the move, I can definitely attest to that because what you might not remember is that I spilled my drink on you. I totally remember that. And you were walking and I was mortified. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I could spill my drink on, I don't know how many other people are here. Hundreds, yeah. close to a thousand. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, no, it on you. Like no, but that's, great but exhibition, that's, Chris. No, but that's okay. And 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 like I said, there's you. If you saw my, I made this list of uh, what is it? Ten years ago, I made this list of why I'm doing greatest hits. I do lists for everything that I do. I'm an anal retentive organization fanatic, and I do lists for everything that I do. And I made this list before starting greatest hits. Was what do I want out of this? It had nothing to do with money. Um, it had nothing to do with fame in a sense, but what do I want? And on the list, if I showed it to you is to meet new people. I meet the fans who really are passionate about the music and, uh, the artists, you know, I would say the George Michael fans are the craziest ones um, <laughs> by far. Uh, the, the Chris Cornell fans are crazy. The Michael Hutchins fans are crazy, but all in a good way, all in a good way. Yeah, I'm sure they're diehards. And you know what? And yeah. The crazy they are about it. Um, it speaks a little bit more to you because you got to be there with them. You got to capture capture these intimate moments. And so, you know, connecting with you is kind of their way of connecting with them, especially the ones that are no longer here. Exactly. So. And I'll tell you a funny story. So uh, two a year after that one, a year or so after that L.A. exhibition, I did my Greatest Hits George Michael exhibition in Sydney, Australia at Black Eye Gallery, because my first trip to Australia, which is my home away from home, was in 1988 with George Michael. I said, so that kind of, it all ties together. Let's do George Michael exhibition. It was 2018 hmm. in Sydney. And, you know, let's celebrate George's life. So right. we, I go back there for three months and we put this whole thing together. And the day the show opens, I get to the, the gallery early in the morning and you know, it's like we're preparing everything. That we unlock the doors, but nobody's really there because the opening night was like we opened on a Tuesday. The opening night was on a Thursday night, so it was just kind of as a soft open. I walk outside to make a phone call, and I'll never forget this till the day I die. I'm, I'm finished the phone call, and I turn around, and there's this woman standing in front of the window where this gigantic face photo is and everything, and she's crying. And she's an older woman. I, I'm guessing in her late forties, early fifties. And she's sobbing, like not like not just tears, but sobbing. And I, I just, you know, first I want to like, what's going on here? And I said, excuse me, are you okay? And she's like, she goes, I just love George so much. And she's crying, and she, she's telling me that she goes, I just, he was everything to me, and I, and I can't believe he's gone, and and I, I, I want to go in, but I can't go in. I can't, still, I can't go into this. I, it's going to hurt me so much. And I, I just grabbed her and I hugged her. I just hugged her and I said, look. I'm going to give you a personal tour. I'm, I'm the photographer. She goes, you're Chris. And she starts crying more. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh my God. And I said, you're going to hold my hand and I'm going to walk you through this exhibition. And we're going to, I'm going to tell you what I'll answer questions and tell you anything you want to know about George. So I said, wipe your tears off. Let's go. Let's have some fun. We're going to celebrate George's life. That's what this is all about. And she just loved it. And I spent probably a good 30, 40 minutes with her telling her all this and just kind of like, for me, it was, it was, again, it validates why I'm doing this. And it's just to make people smile, right. to make people bring joy to people's lives with my life and my photos and my experiences and the stories. And she just loved it. She bought a catalog and I signed it for her. And 
she just was, it was, and that was like, to me, for me, that's been like that moment where, I don't know, it's just the, the number one moment I've had. And, and then I could sit here for hours and tell you a million stories from just that exhibition alone. Oh, just I'm the sure. amazing, the press was great about it. The, the, just, you know, it's George Michael. And I always it's tell George people, I'm, I'm beyond grateful. He changed my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he changed a lot of people's lives and you came a lot closer to spending time with him than anybody else. And sometimes the photographer is the only bridge, like we said, to that Well, person. yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm, I always tell people like, you know, a couple things, like things that I, I, that I, that I try to get clear with everybody in my life. And especially when I'm doing press and interviews and things like that. Number one, I tell people all the time, I'm just a photographer. I, because a lot of photographers made their names doing one artist you know, like one iconic photo or working with one band or one thing. I take pride in the fact that I've worked with all of it. Right. It doesn't matter from all genres to, to all sorts of people. And I would say I've been shooting concerts since I was uh, 16 years old. So people don't realize, you know, how much I've done. I mean, I, and I guess that begs my, my question because I know that you started you know, doing this at a really young age from, you know, the talk yeah. that we've had. Um, but I want to jump back. Growing up as a kid in NorCal, w- was there something that turned you on to rock? Was there a concert or an album or did the love of photography come first? Uh, well, music came first uh, because Growing up, so I, was, I grew up, I was born in 1960. So you got to figure by 1965, the Beatles are big, right? So we're seeing them on TV as kids. We're buying the 45s. You know, my oldest brother, who's 10 years older than me, was a big music fanatic. Everybody in my house loved music. My mom loved musicals. My dad loved Sinatra and, you know, Dean Martin, that genre. My sister was all into the California sound, you know, the Linda Ronstads and the you know, the James Taylors of the world. My other brother was a big, uh, you know, Beatles fan, but the other one was a Beach Boys fan. You know, you just grew up with music everywhere. And me, you know, I grew up with just listening to everything that was played. So music was first, uh, but I grew up in the 60s in the Bay Area. So my oldest brother, he went to Altamont. He went to Monterey Park. Wow. So he went to all these things. So you just kind of live vicariously to what he was doing. But it wasn't, that wasn't like huge in me for me. It wasn't until I got to probably like junior high, and like seventh grade, where you start developing your own musical taste. Mm-hmm. And since I kind of grew up in the hood, my music is to this day, I was telling you, it was not, I wasn't rock and roll. I grew up on funk and, and disco and R&B. My first concerts were Smokey Robinson. And then I saw Earth, Wind and Fire six times and the Commodores and Heatwave, Confunction and Grand Central Station and Tower of Power. Rufus and Chaka Khan, The Blackbird, the list goes on and on and on. My first rock concert, you quote unquote, was the Beach Boys. And it was, it was weird. I'd never saw so many <laughs> white people in my life. I was like, oh my God, all these, all these white people, well, who's that? You know, so it was, uh, I mean, and my, one of my favorite concerts, that rock concerts I saw was in 1978 for New Year's Eve was Journey uh, and Blondie at the Oakland Coliseum. Oh my gosh. Uh, but I saw, I also grew up on a lot of jazz fusion, you know, so I grew up seeing bands like Weather Report and Mahavishnu Orchestra and I saw Zappa a couple times and saw Jean-Luc Ponty and Stanley Clark. I mean, it goes on and on and on. We Just concerts were a big deal for us. We, you know, run to the ticket agency and get in line to get the tickets to go to the shows in high school. 
we all went to show, you know, all our friends, we all loved music. So we'd all go to the shows. You know, Santana was a big deal because he was the Bay Area. All the Bay Area bands, you know, were so huge for us. And then you take, you know, Bill Graham was the greatest promoter ever. So mm -hmm. you had these great shows, you know. But so, when I mean, was the, it? Long. When was it you decided to pick up a camera and start shooting some of this? Well, that's okay. So my mom loved musicals and she would like let me stay home sometimes to watch Singing in the Rain or Seven Brides or Seven Brothers, love you know, Guys movies. and Dolls. And you know, like, I love those movies. Uh, she had me stay home once to watch this movie. I don't know if you've heard of it called Funny Face. Yep. With Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire. So in this movie, Fred Astaire plays the photographer mm -hmm. and he discovers Audrey Hepburn and they fall in love and live happily ever after. And I saw that movie and I was about, I was around 10 years old and I just thought that's the greatest thing ever. And the, he's a photographer and I want a camera. And I was about to go off to a week camp thing in sixth grade. Uh, our, we literally picked this week long camp up in the Santa Cruz mountains. And I asked my mom if I can borrow or use her camera. She had a little brownie camera. I took that with me and I took one roll of film. And I remember coming home and, you know, giving my mom the film and she went and got it processed and came back and here's your pictures and your negatives. And I just was just blown away. And this was the end of the school year. So I, it was summer started and I was just like, oh my God, I'm 10 years old. Going, this is the greatest thing ever. I took these pictures, you know, they were horrible. <laughs> and it's the only roll of film I don't have. It's the only roll. Of, I still don't know where that roll of film is. Oh, it might not be as oh. horrible as you remember then. No, I, it was horrible. And so <laughs> the, uh, that following year, seventh grade, I, I, you get, you start seventh grade at junior high. There was a photography class and um, Mr. Kitajima. And I, I signed up for it immediately. And within, I would say within a couple weeks, less than a couple weeks, we shot our first roll of film and went to the dark room and processed it and made our print. And I, it was like, it was, in, it was love at first sight. And I knew right then and there, I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And in high school, I, I, cut class all the time. I never went to class and I had keys to the dark room. And so I would just cut class and go hide in the dark room or go. Once I got my license, I would drive places and take pictures. And I started shooting models when I was like 12, started shooting concerts when I was 16. Well, that'll turn you on to photography. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, when I was, when I was 10, I started subscribing to Playboy when I was 10 years old. Uh, I always tell my, I always say that it's the truth is I would look at Playboy magazine and I'd pull out the centerfold, just going, whatever that is, I want that. <laughs> and uh, so I was just like that would be amazing to me and it was a lot of fun you know it was like well you were one of the few that actually knew what they wanted to do at a very early age so yeah I mean god bless you because most people don't figure it out ever you know that is true that is I've met people all through the years that I meet people that go that's amazing the the way I've compared it and it's why I went when I started shooting musicians and that's a whole crazy story thanks to Playboy but when I started shooting musicians, it was the one thing I felt I had in common with musicians was when you meet, like, when you meet a guitar player, you know, a really good one, let me, uh, you know, usually meet somebody and they're like, when did you pick up the guitar? They're like, oh, dude, I was like, I saw Zeppelin play when I was 10 and I picked the guitar at 12 and I, I locked myself in my bedroom and learned how to play, you know, Stairway to Heaven. And you meet these guys that just lock themselves in the rooms with their instruments and just practice and practice. That was me, but with a camera, you know, that's, I yeah. always, I always related to that, 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 you know, that, I don't know what you want to call it, that blessing where you turned around and you said, okay, cool. I'm going to, 
I'm going to figure this out and, and, and just get great at it by just locking myself in my room. And now I can play the solo to, you know, Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Well, okay. So now fast forward to 21. You've been doing this for a while. You've already shot Naked Girls. <laughs> yeah, shot everything. You come to LA, like you said, on a wing and a prayer, barely anything in your pocket. Is that when you started getting into the rock photography? Nope. Not no, at all. It was so well I, I, I came here. I came here to shoot fashion. I wanted to be Richard Avedon, even though he shot everything and everyone. But I wanted to be a fashion photographer, and I was told immediately I knew nothing about fashion, and I was in the wrong town. I should be in New York City if I was going to do it. And they were right. I, I figured that out within months of being here. It was like, oh, I mean, I'm in the wrong city, and I have no money, so I'm going to stay here. And um, it, I started shooting girls here for you know, like modeling agencies and testing and things like that, and uh, but I would, you know, go into concerts and stuff. My boss was a big music lover too. So we would go to concerts together. We'd see all sorts of bands together, do, you know, because I got, I going to concerts was like, you know, you did that two, three times a month when I was a kid. And same thing, you just go into concerts. I have every ticket stub I've ever gone to. It's a box, huge. Um, I met this Playboy playmate named Karen Morton, and I shot her a couple times. And she, at the time, she was dating uh, Keith Forsey, a record producer, mm-hmm. uh, who produced uh, Billy Idol for years, produced Charlie Sexton. He, he produced the soundtrack to Breakfast Club. He was mm-hmm. Georgia Moroder's protege. If you know, Georgia Moroder was Donna Summer and invented disco, basically. And one day I'm shooting Karen and I just said, can I take a picture of your boyfriend? And she's like, let me ask him. So she asked him and he said, sure. And I went up to the house in Beverly Hills and spent a couple hours and did some portraits of Keith. And so that session led me to making my first promotional card. You used to make promo cards that you would mail to all the magazines and potential clients. So I made a promo card of Keith Forsey and sent it out to everybody. And um, I turned around and uh, got a call from Musician Magazine on, in Boston. Uh, from Gary Kupke, who is the creative director and a friend to this day, the, probably the greatest creative director I've ever worked with. And Gary hired me to shoot Joe Zawinul from Weather Report. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I, I knew who Weather Report was. I knew who Joe was. But then the second shoot, he calls me up and says, I got another shoot for you. I said, what, what's this one? And he goes, I want you to go shoot. I need you to shoot Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire. So Earth, Wind & Fire was my favorite band in, in high school, still is my favorite band to this day. So I saw them six times in high school. He, he, Maurice White was a god as far as I was concerned. So you're like, I'm like, what? I'm shooting Maurice White? Are you kidding me? So finally, he, I, we set the shoot up. He comes to the studio. We spend the afternoon. He's beyond nice, beyond nice. And he's everything you, you just want your heroes to be. And he invites me to the house. I said to him, I'll get the pictures. Do you want to see them? He goes, yeah, come up to the house and we can look it over. So a week later, I go up to his house in Beverly Hills spend the afternoon going through the photos. He marks them, he likes them, he tells me how, what a great job I did. He gives me a tour of the house, shows me all the platinum records. We hang out for hours, hours. And I end up, uh, I'm driving home through Beverly Hills, you know, down Beverly Glen. And I, I just start crying. I'm like crying like a, a baby. And I'm just, I just, I write then and there, like the angels, the whole thing is just like, oh boy, I want to shoot my heroes. I want to shoot my idols. I want to meet every one of them. I want to meet them all. This is, this is it. I, this is, it just all came together. And I, was, I remember getting home and just saying to my friends, I'm going to shoot all my heroes. And I think within a couple of years, I shot everybody that was on my list. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, not like not everybody, but most of them. Most of them, which is pretty impressive because I think the, the next question I was going to ask was, was there ever an, uh, you know, an I made it moment or that musician, that band or that cover shoot or? Uh, the I would, there's never been that moment. Honest, it's honest truth. No, because I, in my mind, I'm just still starting out. I still have a long ways to go. I set high standards, really, really high marks. But if there was a moment that said I made it, it was the night that I met you was at that exhibition because I had worked so hard for so many years. And I, it took me seven years just to plan and get that first exhibition going, which was because I'm LA's best kept secret is my joke for 30 years now. Everybody knows my pictures, but they just don't know me. Just It was just that moment where I was like, okay, you know, I guess I am okay. I guess I'm pretty good at what I do, you know, with <laughs> kind of that realization. Because I've, I've never, I don't walk around thinking I'm great. And, you know, I'm Chris Caparo. You should, you know, I don't play that game. Um, but well, you've been doing I, it for decades at that point. Right, exactly. But it's still, you know, I, I'm just not, I don't like, I don't have much of an ego. So, um, like I said, I, I just tell people all the time, like, just, I'll put my work up to anything. If you can't look at my work and see I'm good, then, then you know. No, you're amazing. You, no, you've so, shot, I mean, every, the bands you've shot are incredible. And look, I know you've shot practically everyone, but the work that we see out there, the, a, a lot of the more mainstream stuff, whether it's, a, you know, George Michael or an XS right. or, you know, no doubt, whoever it might be, um, people know these these photos. But, I mean, of all these names, who, who did, and I'm sure you get this question all the time too, but I have to ask it. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Who do you love or who did you really love shooting? Like you were like, well, is I, that is I a tough it. question. That is a tough question. And I get asked that all the time. It can be based uh, on so many different things, but. You know. Right. And there's a list. I would say my favorite, I wouldn't call them my favorite shoots or my favorite subjects, just kind of like my favorite moments. Just the people that really just, what I always say that made me look good. Like Michael Hutchins made me look good. My other hero is Iggy Pop. I've shot Iggy yeah. maybe three, four times, and Iggy made me look good every fucking time. George, <laughs> Mi- George Michael George Michael was, at the time, in 1988 and everything, 87 was when I first shot him, he was brilliant, like brilliant. And he was, what I loved about George was, in the beginning, he didn't trust me. But I understood that in the beginning. But once George trusted me, and he knew I had his back, uh, that the walls came down, and the work got better, we got better, and everything just got better. Um, you know, I always tell people when you're working with an artist or a subject, the more that they trust you, the better work you're going to get. And uh, and that's what I had to develop through the years. And I hope I've done the, that in the correct way to this point now. I tell people, if, if just do what I tell you to do, and it's going to be great. I don't care what it is. Just sit there, shut up, and do what I tell you to do, and you'll, be, you'll get a great photo. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but it's once well, you get that in the trust, pudding, right? Yeah. And the trust. And so, so many artists like that, you know, that were great, you know, bands like NXS were amazing. Nirvana was amazing to shoot. Yeah. Pearl Jam. I thank them all. I mean, honestly, I, the fun qu- question I get is like, who's the worst person you ever shot? I can't even, there really isn't anybody. There really isn't anybody. Was there ever anybody that you woke up and you knew you had to shoot with them or whatever it was? And you're like, Oh God, these guys are going to suck, but turned out to be okay. <laughs> not really. You don't have no, to answer no. that if you don't want to. No, 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 no. I don't. I, I don't mind. I'll 
drop names left and right. Peter pissed me <laughs> off. I'll make sure people know. No, but I would say like everybody's had, I was, I've had a couple cranky people. Like Nick Cave was cranky. But I tell people all the time, like everybody's allowed to have a cranky day. You've had a cranky day. We've all had a cranky day. Yeah. But, over, but overall, like, you know, there's never been like assholes. I want years like 1991, I think it was, 91, 92. I wanted to hate Johnny Depp so bad. I hated him. Like, I hated him. The reasons I hate him, I don't even know. I think it was because he was too good looking. I, I think he was just everything, he, just everything he did was great. I just was jealous or something. I wanted to hate the guy. And a friend of mine was producer for a TV show called ABC's In Concert. And uh, he hires me to direct Johnny to do the, they're doing a special episode on Tom Petty. And my friend hires me to direct the, you know, the segments in between like the bumpers and stuff but in between the, the videos of Tom Petty. So I go to Malibu and I meet Johnny and I want to hate him. So I just want to hate the guy. Like by the end of the day, I, I, I was love the guy. Like I was like, Johnny, I love you. And you know, it was like, this, it was incredible. And he ended up at the end of the day, we're sitting there talking, we're laughing about this. We had lots of mutual friends and we're talking about this and that. And I said to him, you know, I happen to be a photographer. I don't you know. He thinks I'm the director. I'm like, I'm also a photographer. And I said, can I take a picture? And he let me take one roll of film, 10 shots, one roll of film. Every shot's perfect. It's mm-hmm. like this Johnny Depp. Doesn't matter, right? And he was just the nicest guy in the world. He was just beyond nice to me. And you get that. I can go. I have a ton of those stories. Well, and, yeah. And that's, I think, what kind of led to, again, my next question. I wanted to know if there was anybody you ever met that, you know, um, and, and I'm sure you're very unimpressed just based on any, everybody you've been around, but any rock heroes that you met that left you in awe um, or that yeah. made you nervous beforehand, you know? The only one that made me nervous, I guess the one that really got me in the beginning was, was Carlos Santana. Mm. Because I grew, up, I grew up in the hood. I grew up in the barrios. And I grew up on Carlos Santana. Santana was God in my high school. Like we played Moonflower Records like every day for, for my it. entire senior year. And I go, he's doing, uh, Joe Zawinul from Weather Report is working on a solo record. And his managers were good friends of mine at the time. And they said, hey, Carlos is coming down to lay down some tracks at the studio. Do you want to come by? And I said, fuck yeah. <gasps> and I'm walking up to this, I got my camera and I want to, I'm, 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 I'm excited. I'm going to meet Carlos Santana and take his picture. And I'm walking up to the studio and the doors open. This is in Silver Lake somewhere. And all of a sudden I hear one note of Carlos's guitar. And I just. I got weak and I was like, oh my God. And I just would, he, I walk in and, and the manager's like, hey, Chris. And Joe's there, hey, Chris. And they go, this is Carlos. And I'm like, I, I just, it just, it was, it was like, this is like early 80s. And I just shake his hand and I'm just like, oh. you're Carlos Santana, you know? Like, I'm just like, you're God. Cause I, we, when in high school, we used to always say that if God wanted to be a guitar player, he would be Carlos Santana. <laughs> and I grew up on, I grew up on, that's Clapton. pretty accurate. I know, but I grew up on Clapton. I grew up on, you know, Jimmy Page. I grew up on all the greats. And I still, I, I'm, I, for me, Jimi Hendrix, all this stuff, I still put, for me, it's Santana's number one. I get it. I mean, all you have to do is watch footage from Woodstock and watch oh, him yeah. play Soul Sacrifice. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. I mean, and God. You watch them, go on YouTube. There's these videos from the 70s. And he did these Day on the Greens for Bill Graham. Because Bill Graham was his manager. And he used to play these Day on the Greens. And there's these, during that period, that was the best, for me, the best. And uh, the, the record Moonflower is, I still play it to this day. It's like, it's such a great, he was just, so those kinds of moments, you know, there, the other mo- great moment I had was with George Michael. I t- uh, my first big trip to Australia, we were in Australia for three weeks, in Melbourne and Sydney. 
And on the way back, we fly to Hawaii, my first trip to Hawaii. We fly to Hawaii, and George is going to do two shows in Hawaii. We land in Hawaii. This is not a photo shoot, but this is a crazy moment. I call these the, the moments that I just go, holy fuck, what's this weird. We land, we get to Hawaii, we get to the hotel. The manager, my good friend Michael, says to me, hey, you want to have dinner tonight? I said, sure. I think it's just me and him. He says, meet me in the lobby at seven, whatever. I come down the lobby. It's me, Michael, Kathy, George, and Elton John. Oh, my gosh. We go to the restaurant, and I'm sitting there at the table with Elton John going, hey, can you pass the salt? You know, like, and I'm sitting there going, I don't belong here. <laughs> well, I, I should be sitting at the kids' table. I shouldn't be at this table. And you just sit there and you're just kind of going, this is really, really weird. And Elton John just asked me to pass the salt. <laughs> yeah, you're just sitting there just kind of going, this is really weird. You know, so. No big deal. Oh, no, that's that's a moment for sure. There's, there's like, those are those moments, and I have a lot of those moments, that you're just like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't literally belong here. I think I had that moment. I had... they're all coming into my head now. Uh, One of my other crazy moments was, was ice tea. When the first time I finally shot, I met ice tea during Lollapalooza, but it was until a year or so after that, where I'm talking to ice tea, we're, you know, talking about this and that, talking about music. And I was telling them all the concerts I went to and I'm, I'm set my, everybody's setting things up and I walk away from my tea and I said, stay here. We're going to, I'll get my camera. We're going to shoot. This is where I want you to show them where I want. And I'm walking away and he just kind of says, he goes like, Kafaro, you're OG. Oh. My crew, my crew's, everyone just on the look on everybody's face just went like white, and they're like, "Holy fuck!" It was like being knighted. It was like blessed <laughs> by the Pope. You're OG, and I was like, "Yo," <laughs> things like that that you're just like, "Whoa, okay, I am OG." Just like you know, a regular little comment for him that meant everything to you. Is I love yeah, that. Yeah, I did like those little things. I started tell people it's always about the little things. It is always about the little things, you know, things that nobody else would think of that mean the world to you. Well, if, if all the work you've done, what are you most proud of? Oof. I just had a meeting uh, two months ago with a friend of mine who's a writer, creator, and a producer. And he's a few years older than me. I think he's 64 or 65. And I just turned 60. And the thing we talked about, and I think it's the thing I, I respect and take pride in the most, is the longevity. I think that's the number. There's no... And I honestly, I say this all the time, the work I've done in the last 10 years is better than the previous 40. And the work I'm going to do is going to be better than this. I, when I was younger as a kid, I got scared. I looked at certain photographers who got known for one thing and then just did that same thing over and over. That scared the shit out of me. I tell people all the time, like, I don't want to be known. Like, I have this plan that I, my goal is that in five years, I will never talk about my music work ever again. It'll all kind of just be shut down and that's that. I don't want to be on my, you know, my front porch in a rocking chair, sitting next to you, drinking a mojito going, you know, there was this time that I shot Nirvana. But that's what this show's about. So. I know that, but I, (laughs) well, you got me for the next, you know. But as as long as you're around, you're going to be asked those questions because again, you're that connection. So, you know, I am a huge uh, Michael Hutchins fan, huge in excess fan. I have your work. I see it every day. And I had a question I wanted to ask you, what was he like? How was it to work with him? Because I'm a fan because I care right. and no, you're I my link. That. Yeah, no, I get that. And he, Michael, uh, what I like to joke and I said, this, <laughs> I always do this because I'm a smart ass. 
I did this at the artist no. talk. We did this artist <laughs> talk a year ago. And 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 the people are like, what was Michael like? I said, he was such an asshole. I go, he owed me $20 and he never paid me back. And like, they're like, what? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, um, Don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. No, Michael was the best of the best. I mean, here's a Michael Hutchins story. You know the picture you have of NXS? Mm-hmm. So I shot that in, uh, in Ottawa, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go up to Canada. I was in the middle of the George Michael tour and I go to Ottawa, Canada, spend two days with them before they start the North American kick tour. So I get there the first day. We shoot some rehearsal stuff. I, I shoot, I meet the band. And then I, the next day I go to sound check. After sound check, I go back to the dressing room and I'm sitting in the dressing room with the band and the band eventually leaves. It's just me and Michael in the room. And and I look at Michael and we're talking because we knew had mutual friends. So that makes it easy, right? You're like, oh, yeah, sounds better. And he's wearing Doc Martens. Up to that yeah. point, I, I, it was like kind of cool, edgy Doc Martens, rock and roll, punk rock. We're going to be, you know, dangerous Doc Martens. And I'm a tennis shoe guy. I'm a Nike Adidas, Adidas well, superstar guy. Well, this is like a- late 80s, right? 88. Yeah, 80s. yeah. So I said to him, I said, are Doc Martens comfortable? Because I see a lot of people wearing them now. And he goes, yeah, they're really comfortable. They're really good. You should get a pair. I said, I, I, I'm, a, I'm wearing my superstars. And he's like, he goes, try mine on. So I tried his shoes on in the dressing room. <laughs> Let me try his shoes on. And I literally, Did they fit? <laughs> they fit. And they were comfortable. And I got home. And I literally, a week later, went to Santa Monica and bought a pair of Doc Martens, my first pair. Really? And because of him. So I always give. And then years later, when I did that session, uh, the famous session, with him, I thanked him. I said, dude, because you, I'm wearing Doc Martens. And he <laughs> laughed. And again, mutual friends. So we all, you know, we laughed. We, that shoot was, was amazing because we just, you know, by that time, he was, you know, NXS was massive. And yeah, uh, and I was a huge fan um, to this day. And, um, you know, he, he just, he was just that, he was such a, he was the rock star. Like you hear the documentary, that documentary uh, that Lowenstein did, which was brilliant, Mystify. I, I love that documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know he was special. I mean, he was. Yeah. He there. He he just. He. I, I was interviewed for in, in the, the the there was a documentary done in Australia for Channel Nine. They interviewed me for. There's a part they interviewed me and they asked me and I what I, I I'll say to you I'll repeat myself but uh, he had the it factor. Yeah, uh, and did. a lot of artists a lot of artists have the it factor. I, Kurt Cobain had it. You know, Apple had it. Eddie Vedder has it. But I tell you though, like Michael had it, you know, he just had it, whatever it was. I don't know. Yeah. You don't, there's no word. He just had it. And, uh, and well, uh, if you ever saw them live, they were, he was amazing on stage. He was just, you couldn't take your eyes off of him. Some of, yeah, I know. I know. And some of the people that you mentioned, it's a dubious honor because it didn't serve them well in the end. Um, right. But you know what? They left an amazing legacy with great. Right. Great but people, when I, you know, so many so many artists have died on me for multiple reasons, and you know, one thing I always like to remind myself because I'm not going to be here forever is just like you know, this is life. This is life, and some people go in in their own ways, and you know, life is short. It's temporary. Um, it is what it is. You just you know, while you're here, enjoy it, be grateful, and I think you can build from there. Right. A lot of people get. I don't. You know. I. I do. I miss Michael. Hell yeah. God yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, and and speaking of which, who and talking about your future and that your work is just going to continue to get better and better, which I have no doubt it will. Who would you love to shoot? 
that you haven't oh, shot God. or somebody you'd love to shoot again? So I do have a hit list. I, I get updated regularly. Ever since I started this, I have always had a hit list. And like, you know, Freddie Mercury was on that list until he died and, you know, people like that. Uh, I have a hit list to this day. I would love to shoot Lady Gaga. I would, um, a lot of the artists these days, there's not a lot of new artists, I ha- but I have a hit list. I, like, I want to shoot a lot of hip hop artists. I'd like to shoot Kendrick Lamar. I'd like mm-hmm. to shoot um, RZA and, and anybody in the Wu-Tang Clan. The closest I've gotten to Wu-Tang is Method Man a few times. And I love Method Man. Um, but like, uh, there's, there is a hit list. I, I updated on my website like every year or so. I kind of just go, oh, here's the latest artist I want to do. Um, it's hard now. It's just, back in the days, in the 90s, I, if I was up in Seattle, and which happened, I was shooting Queensryche for EMI Records. I call the manager of Nirvana and I say, hey, are the guys around? And John's like, yeah, they got a new drummer named Dave. I go, can I shoot them? He goes, yeah, how about th- Thursday afternoon? Okay, cool. You know, it was like, there was a, it was a call because I knew everybody. Right. It was a call and like, it, it's Chris, so we trust him and we know it's not, he's, you know, nowadays everybody's paranoid. They are. And there are a lot of elements that you're contending with, you know, that, yeah, they're, they're, because I'll have, they weren't we battling have, 10 yeah, years ago, 15 years ago, let alone 40 years ago. Have, nowadays, a lot of artists have what we call FWCs, FWCs, which is friends with cameras. Mm-hmm. So, because everybody's a photographer now, everybody's yeah. a photographer. Even them, people are taking selfies. They don't need me anymore. Which I'm, I always tell people, I'm okay because I've kind of moved everybody on. Everybody has a camera. Everybody. It doesn't mean they know how to shoot. Yeah, I know, but it's I see great photos all the time. But people like I just like to remind people. They like, oh, I always say anybody can be a photographer. Anybody and people take great pictures all the time. I am not going to argue with that at all. But I always tell people, try doing it for 50 years and putting up with the assholes that I put up with. <laughs> then you can come to tell me what you, that you can do this. But I mean, I mentor lots of young photographers all the time, all these little concert photographers. Concert photography has become a big deal these days. Yeah. Do you prefer and, live or no. portrait? Okay. I'd rather have one-on-one sessions. Live, yeah. everybody, you know, back in the day, I was blessed to get a lot of exclusive uh, access especially in the James Addiction days, I documented James Addiction for two years. So mm-hmm. I would get to, you know, usually they would kick the photographer out after three songs. Well, most of the time I got to stay for the whole show. So I would get things that nobody else would get. I just don't like getting, what, when you're sitting in a pit with five other photographers. Getting oh, I pictures. can imagine. Um, and speaking but, of the, the changing landscape too, I can't even imagine what it was like to come to LA in the early 80s. I mean, yeah. and and be a photographer. I just feel like there was so much d- decadence. Is that maybe the right well, word? Well, I was too young and Excess. No, nah, but I didn't do any. I didn't do any. I didn't do drugs or alcohol or do that kind of crazy shit until I was twenty eight. I was a late bloomer because uh, when I was when I was twelve years old, I met a photographer, uh, and he told me the best advice that, to this day, which was. Your reputation is the most important piece of equipment you own, so don't mm. fuck it up. And I, to this day, I would say my reputation is uh, in LA right now. It's probably Chris talks too much, and he just works too much. That, I'll, I'll live with that. Oh, there's yeah. something to self self awareness, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We when way back in the mid '80s, one of the rules I learned was rule. We used to always call this rule number one: it's better to look good than to be good. And you're like, yeah, you know, <laughs> words to live by. <laughs> yeah. So we were like, okay. So, you know, to me, I, I just feel like, you know, in life, 
you you if you find that you're lucky enough to find the thing you love, then you just you got to give it everything you got. And that's what I have done since I was ten. Um, I've already I've already succeeded. I would tell people I I succeeded when I was like seventeen years old when I got a girl naked and took pictures of her. That was that was the peak. That was the peak. Everything else after that is just like me helping everybody. I just feel I'm like sure I, many I, men I, would agree. Yeah. So I think you just like I would say the the work is the easy part. It's everything else. Yeah. Is, is the is the difficult part. And I think I the part when you're get, when you're getting older, the hardest part is just, I keep trying to all my young friends. You keep you start losing as you get older. You start losing things. But I also think you know as we get older, yes, you do lose a lot. But there's a lot to be gained, and it's figuring out how to capitalize on that. Exactly. You know, and exactly. if if for you it's you know I don't know what your next you know move is, but. Um, if you're moving into the entertainment arena, arena and you're doing documentaries or your TV shows no, or whatever I it is. A, I, I want to do my one hour drama and I want to win the uh, Emmy award for best drama. And I want to get my big trophy and I want to mm-hmm. say to everybody in the audience, fuck you, you <laughs> asshole. I made you what you are today. And you never said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds awesome. I, I yeah. hope that moment happens for you, Chris. <laughs> At least you're doing it for the right reasons, Chris. <laughs> yeah. I don't I'm I don't kidding. I'm kidding. It's not going to happen. Uh, but hey, trying. you said go big. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what's going to happen. I just know I got to. I got to keep working. Well, I appreciate you being on. Um, one last question I have for you, and this might be hard for you. I mean, I know it spans over all these different right. genres. Top five bands. Oh. Okay, so it's, it, it goes like this. Earth and Fire, first of all, number yeah. one, by far. By far. If I'm going to, I was listening to them today in the car. I'm, I'm going to listen to them, and they make me happy every time I do. Earth and Fire, Rufus and Chaka Khan, Grand Central Station, Confunction. Uh, then I'm going to jump over to and go into like probably Santana. At the, when there was, you know, was a band, and, and then probably then the like the '90s stuff. Yeah, I always tell people out of all the '90s things, I want to give. You know, there's only a couple albums of Soundgarden that I like. There was a couple of, out of all those '90s bands. There's only one album I like, The Pearl Jam, which is the first one. Everything else sucks. But my my <laughs> '90s my '90s band is Alice in Chains, probably more than mm-hmm. any of them. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Queen because I was a huge Queen fan as a kid. And then I'm going to also go with uh, a band, put out a couple albums, but a band that you don't know of called Return to Forever, the jazz fusion band with Chick Corea and Lenny White and Al Dimiola and Stanley Clark. Uh, and then um, for like rock and roll, I guess growing up in the Bay Area, the Doobie Brothers were a big deal. Oh, yeah. Well, saw, they're I Bay Area. Couple, yeah. And I saw them a couple of times as a kid. I saw Huey Lewis and the News open for them once. Oh my God. Yeah. That was probably awesome. Yeah. And uh, if you're so I, it, yeah. So I guess <laughs> I it's like those those kinds of bands, but it's I I just now I'm forgetting about I just forgot I realized I just want to apologize. I forgot about Parliament Funkadelic. Um Yeah. Oh, so many. I should have given you five ba- or five bands in each genre. <laughs> I know, but that's the thing. There's so many you think about. I know, so I know. And it makes people think, you know, it's a hard question. And nobody has been able to easily just kind of rattle off, 
you know, who yeah, their favorites are, or then it's an afterthought like, and they're like, Oh wait. Yeah. But that's always that period. You know, every band has their peak, you know, it's one or two albums and they're at that, that peak, you know, that you love, but then they all fall apart toward, you know, and they're still around. Some of these bands are still around to this day with like one original member. Um, you know, but I mean, now you got me thinking about the eighties. Like I'm thinking of the eighties bands. Like I loved tears for fears and I love mm. the motels. Remember the motels? I do remember the motels. I saw them live. Um, but like, I love the eighties bands. I'm thinking about Like I loved ABC, the first record, Lexicon Love. Great mm-hmm. record. Um, but the nineties, you know, I, I would tell people, I don't, I don't put on, you know, Nirvana and listen to Nirvana anymore. Just don't. And if I do, I put on unplugged more than anything. Yeah. No, I understand that. And I think sometimes if you go album by album, it's not really going to resonate. But if you can take specific songs and look at their work as a whole and how it resonated with you and what was happening in your life at the time, too. There's so many things that come into play when you're picking your favorites. But I appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit, uh, a little bit with us. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Well, good luck with the rest of 2020. Thanks so much for joining, guys. If you liked this episode, share a pic on Instagram and tag me. Send me a message to let me know what you liked or what you want to hear more of, or feel free to leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to head over to LA Woman Rocks on Instagram for some great classic rock photography.